I'm Monica Johnson with Marshall Weber, and this is Brooklyn Calling. Hello, welcome to our show, where we talk about artists, libraries, and social justice. Marshall and I are your hosts. We're both artists and we head up Brooklyn Inc., an arts nonprofit located in Brooklyn, New York on the unceded land of the Muncie Lenape people. And we created Brooklyn Calling to explore art making as a tool for community engagement and for social change. And we do this by talking directly with artists and with activists in the field. We're also interested in finding out new aspects of material culture and how art interacts with social justice and change, therefore. And so today we have some amazing guests who are going to talk about all these things. Uh, we have Jeanette Ariano and Joe Brusky, who are both part of a, a group called the Art Build Workers, uh, located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And together uh, with Brooklyn, we published a box set edition in 2020 that collects the movement culture of the 2019 teacher strikes in Oakland and in Los Angeles, California. Uh, let's see. So Jeanette is a Milwaukee-based community activist artist. She dedicates her efforts with Milwaukee's Latinx community, creating work on issues in cultural, social change, and immigration. And she's also a visual art teacher for the Milwaukee Public Schools and for citizenship classes for adults. And Joe Brusky is a teacher and an organizer and a photographer and a tactical mediator. And I've heard he's also been called the people's photographer. Um, and now I'm going to bring Marshall Weber in, who, as you know, is our directing curator, but he was also the project publisher and was really involved in a lot of the hands-on steps of creating this box set. Um, and, and I'll sort of sit back as a person who has witnessed all of these box sets come into our space. They're, they're gigantic. There's 80 items in each box. There's 25 in the edition. I know that there were around 30 artists participant and making all of this ephemera. Um, there's like picket signs and screen prints and a ton more. And so with that, I'm, well, first I want to say hi, Jeanette and Joe. How are you doing today? Hello. Great pretty to be good, here. Pretty good. Enjoying the rain. We're so glad that you're here. And Marshall, why don't you take it away? Sure. Um, first, I just want to thank Joe and Jeanette for being here. And I want to thank Art Build Workers and Red for Ed and the National Education Association and all the teacher unions and folks that were involved in this project. And I thought I would um, frame the project with a quote that I found just to be a, a fabulous and succinct articulation of what this project tried to document in terms of the union movement and in terms of social justice organizing in general, and especially with the integration of artists into those strategies and tactics. And it's a quote from uh, David Solnit, who was actually part of the project. And um, this is what he says. He says, I think like a murmuration of birds, there is an emergent intelligence among organizers and artists recognizing 
that we need art and culture to win a better world for our communities and the planet. I think there is a growing ecosystem of arts and culture work within social movements. So I, I just love that image of murmuration. And I wanted to get both Joe and Jeanette's perspective on this kind of general phenomenon of art being used to kind of amplify and increase the effectiveness of union and social justice organizing. Thank you so much, Marshall. Uh, as being a teacher myself and a union member, I think uh, I came into this project, into this group with a, a bit of knowledge of what it is to be inside of the struggle, right? And acknowledging that education is so important within itself that we not only educate ourselves through the movements, but through history, through what we leave in history, through the pieces such as what we create inside of the art build movements and together creating this story, not with just the union members in itself, but within community, within families and the children that we serve inside of our schools. For me, when it comes to creating these, these movements, these art builds, it's the process that's really important. It's the learning that we learn from each other to be able to push movements to create a better change for our education. I think uh, the art builds have a really beautiful thing of transforming spaces and transforming minds. I think um, very much at the times when we're there inside of the art builds, we're creating these huge banners and parachutes. We see the families that come into these spaces and what they have to bring to us as for myself as an educator, right? Because it's with the support of everyone inside of this movement that then brings in these hundred yard banners, these picket signs that then we can create that action. And when the news comes along, they're not able to skew that, right? When we're creating these designs, we have images of our children who we serve the images of our family members, because one thing that I get tired of seeing, especially as being an art teacher or a teacher itself is how one person changed history. And that's false. It's a whole movement. It, it's the masses that create that change. And to show that one student that they are a leader themselves makes a huge difference and an impact when it comes to these art belts. I've seen one small child direct a whole group of 10 adults, letting them know, this is the color blue. This one is yellow. You're painting <laughs> it wrong, you know? And, and then it comes back to, wow, I'm a teacher. And even the fact of, I, I need to change the way in, the way I talk to my kids when I'm like, you're doing that wrong. No, it's, that's different. You know, that, that something that I didn't realize before. Here, let me help you with that. And along there, they teach me how to teach others. So it's that one child that does make that change, not for the rest of us, you know, those who come in, but for us as well as educators and taking some time to take a step back and understand that this movement is just not our own. It's everybody's. Yeah, that's, that's really powerful, Jeanette. And, you know, for, for me, um, you know, I kind of came into this work and into this space as uh, as a fourth grade teacher who 
um, was released from my classroom by the union, which just essentially means I'm no longer working in the classroom. I'm working for the union full time, um, doing organizing and social media. And so the whole, the whole field of education is a really complex one. And, you know, those in power, um, those who aim to attack public education have, have purposely made it that way. And so I guess that we kind of face the, the problem of how do we tell the story of our students and the story of educators um, in a way that makes it a really complex um, field, much easier to understand for people. And, you know, like we're talking about privatization, we're talking about the over-testing of our students, we're talking about, um, you know, the underfunding, the under-resourced schools that we work in and how to tell that story and to really humanize um, the fight and the struggle for quality public education, fully funded public schools. And, you know, art has been one of those ways in which we've been able to do that. And, you know, as a photographer, um, it's been really, it wasn't something I expected when I first started doing this work, but, you know, going out and documenting the actions for public education and for other movements of uh, justice in the city of Milwaukee and how a lot of times, you know, Je Jeanette kind of alluded to this, uh, you know, when we take photos of children um, at uh, a march or teachers at a march, a lot of times those faces of those those children and those educators become part of the designs that are created. So, you know, for instance, Jet, Jeanette uh, several times has taken photos that I've taken at marches and then created designs using those photos that become, uh, so like faces of people who are actually in the fight become, um, you know, those iconic images that you see in some of her art um, and some of the other art build workers art. And that really is empowering for people who are, you know, interested in fighting for justice in these fights when they see themselves not just as someone who wants to fight for change, but when, you know, their image actually becomes the image that, you know, people rally around. And, you know, the way that we use art helps tell some of these complex stories. And like I said, just really humanizes the fight and, you know, lets people see like, hey, like, you know, this is something that we should support. Like a recent uh, art build that we did in Santa Fe, we were talking about affordable housing for, for teachers, and it's a really complex issue. And so when some of the designs, like for instance, Pete Rayland, uh, an artist out of uh, Milwaukee, did a really great image that just helps people to see, you know, like this is a fight that affects everybody. And, you know, it, art really has a way of taking these super complex issues and making it, uh, breaking it down to its to its essence and people are able to see it and understand it more. And it's just something that's really been powerful that I think the art fields have been able to harness. And let me tell you, Joel takes some beautiful pictures. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 I was really thinking that that issue of both personalizing these rather complex kind of social issues and also giving people access to participate personally uh, seems to be a really important component of the project. Um, I, I wanted to paint a picture for our listeners. The, the, these art builds for these particular projects, when the, when the art build workers are doing projects, they're typically asked or involved in some kind of social justice or union organizing, and they're organizing these huge kind of 
collective and cooperative productions where you might be in a giant warehouse with lots of screen printing going on and painting going on. The difference is that there'll be the, the public, the teachers, the parents, the students, the union organizers, everyone is invited to participate. And one thing that I heard from a few different people involved in the project was that for uh, uh, one of the projects was I, I guess was at one of the union halls and they were saying some of the teachers, the union members and the parents had never been to the union hall before. And so, so many social connections were made just by the fact that all these people were gathered together and put in the same room. And I wonder if you guys want to address the kind of the social importance of this kind of creative organizing. Sure, I'll, I'll start first on this one. Yeah, like, so the first, uh, the first art build that we did for um, the Milwaukee Teachers Education Association, which is the union that I work for, um, and, and, and uh, a dues paying member of, um, we had a bill that was coming to the state legislature that essentially would pass several of our schools off to private uh, operators every year. Um, and so we wanted to organize an art bill to kind of like bring this fight and uh, create art around this fight, to try, as I said, to try to tell the story of why this was a, a horrible thing for public education, for students, and for the community of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, you know, like, as you said, like, we had a lot of people that came to the art build, a lot of people who had never um, been involved in the union ever, I'm, um, both artists and people who were just interested in um, fighting for public schools. And, you know, when the art build happened, we had people who would sign up for time slots. You know, I think we were signing people up for like two, two hour time slots. And we had people that came for a two hour time slot and ended up staying like the entire weekend, like came back the next day and spent like two, two full days with us, you know, generating and building this art. And, you know, as we built up to our actions and had uh, different actions that came after the art build, those were the those are the people that were coming out to the actions. And, you know, when you have lots of people in a space making art together, you know, painting banners and uh, coloring in posters, um, when you're doing that, like you want to go to the rally, you want to go to the march, and you want to hold that banner that you helped uh, create. And so not only did you have that powerful um, thing happening, but then during the art build itself, so I, as someone who does social media, I'm generating social media and content around the art build as it's happening, but every single participant at that art build is doing their own social media and they're doing their own storytelling about what it what what's happening and why they're there doing that. And it just you have this amplification of like all of a sudden you've got 30 people who have never talked about um, struggles for public education before telling their story and personalizing it to them and why they're there in that space creating that art. And it's just so powerful. Like, you know, it's one thing to have the union account telling the story um, from its perspective, but then when you have uh, the high school student there telling it from their perspective about how, you know, they don't have art and music in their school and how that affects them and why they're there and why they're going to be at the rally the next weekend, um, that just has such a profound effect. And it really, it brings new people into the fray who might have never uh, been involved before. And that's just such a, you know, a dynamic uh, a way of telling stories from different points of view 
that really just goes far and wide. And, you know, ever since we did that art build, a lot of those same people come to um, other actions completely unrelated to, uh, you know, what that particular art build was for, which is just, you know, really, really great to see and not something that we ever um, expected would happen. So just super powerful. Joe, you had you were talking a bit about um, how the work, some of this visual work makes very complex things resonate with people. And I I wondered if there was a specific example of I don't a person that confronted a graphic and was sort of able to see through the issues a little more clearly, or if there's a particular graphic that helped guide you deeper into the complexity that you are part of every day? Well, you know, as I'm talking, maybe uh, I'll think of something specifically, but so in the city of Milwaukee, um, we have lots of different ways that um, they're privatizing our schools. And so we have what are called voucher schools, which are if, a, if a, someone sends their child to a private school, the public allocation of, of dollars instead of going to their public school, follow that student to um, to the, the private school. And so what it does is it slowly hollows out the public school system. And so you have that money leaving the, leaving the system, even though the system still has the same um, infrastructure costs and the same uh, needs. And so we also have what are called charter schools. And in Milwaukee, we have several different kinds of charter schools or different agencies that can authorize charter schools. And so a lot of people don't realize that um, there's all these different ways that money is taken out of the public system and then given to the private system. And then what often happens is these private schools is they can be so very selective in the students that they have. And so students will oftentimes be, um, will come to a school, uh, a private school, and they might be there for a couple of weeks and in the state of Wisconsin, this is off true in a lot of other states, um, the, what's called Third Friday in October. And so on the Third Friday in October is when counts are taken for state allocations of funds. And so what happens is students will go to these private schools and the private schools will very quickly find, will realize that some of the students might be what they deem harder to educate. They might have behavior issues or they might not be good uh, test takers. And the schools will um, essentially kick the student out they, or counsel them out of, their, uh, out of their school. And then they'll get sent back to the public school system without the funding following them. And so we've, that's a really difficult story to tell and a really hard concept for people to grasp. And so, um, you know, I'm not thinking, and maybe Jeanette can think of a particular piece that the art build workers have done, but in telling that story, um, and really painting that picture for people to see that this is happening. Um, we've been able to use, you know, social media and to tell that story. Um, because it's just like another one of the very complicated issues that people don't have any idea um, that that's happening. And so trying to take complex issues like that and to use art to really, to really tell that story um, is something that, you know, it's just another one of the examples of where um, we try to find ways to to bring these complicated issues uh, and make them easier for 
average people to understand, right? And to see that this is happening and what the consequences are for the public school system when that happens. And I would just add one thing too. So like an image that I, as Jeanette was talking, that came to mind was uh, an image with some uh, a slogan that we've used often, which is public schools are the heart of our community. And, you know, this whole idea that that we can make public schools stronger by privatizing other schools and that that somehow will make public education stronger. I mean, I think it's this, this idea that, you know, public schools are the heart of our community. So many things happen in our public schools. And, you know, when we, when we start to defund them or start to send funding to different schools, it's giving up on that idea. And when you think about taking a voucher or a charter school, it's saying, well, let's create great schools or let's create schools that have more funding for just a select group of people. Just let's just carve out some students that we think um, that we're going to help and lift up and then leave the majority of the population um, who are still in public schools underfunded and under resourced. And, you know, it's just this idea of kind of like going away from what's a public good and what we can do for our society when we have great, strong public schools that serve everybody, rather than to create two separate systems that are definitely unequal um, and saying that we're going to help out some students to the detriment of the 90% of the rest of the um, students that attend public schools. And it's, it's, we have to go back to this idea that if we want great communities and we want great public schools, then we have to fund one system that does that and is well-funded and has all the resources so that it gives every child a chance to be successful. And, you know, when we grew up, a lot of our public schools were, that's where the communities went. That's where events were held. And that's that the neighborhood school was kind of the, the heart of the community. It's where everything happened. And so just that idea and that image um, you know, a local artist here, uh, John Fleissner, created an image that has heart, and then in the heart, uh, encapsulated in the heart, is a public school. And that image is just like, it, you know, a lot of people have probably seen it. It's uh, definitely an iconic image. But just this idea that, you know, we have to really look at the greater public good of, of uh, education and that if we want great communities, we got to have great public schools. And so I think that image really helps people to kind of see that and realize how important public education is. Yeah, definitely. I, I think I hear again and again, the words power, energy, and empowerment. And um, I, I, I wanted to add that, you know, for Bookland and for in particular, this When We Fight, We Win box set that helped document these, uh, especially the 2019 uh teacher strike in Los Angeles and the 2019 teacher strike in Oakland, which were very successful, which were um, very successful art build worker projects and kind of a great integration of, you know, uh, creative approaches to resistance and union organizing, which I think provide a model that could be used in many, many different um, arenas of uh social justice, the energy that was so apparent in those movements, um, even at Bookland, we felt motivated by that energy. Like I really wanted to publish this box set. The art was great. Just the energy around the art was great. Everyone involved that I talked to was so excited about the projects. Um, the LA, uh, 
strike was one of the biggest teacher strikes ever. Uh, what people may not know in terms of the backstory is the um, teachers unions in the United States are the largest unions in the United States. They really hold the link, you know, from the strength of the past unions in this country to the future of strong unions in this country. And so this project is, you know, there's a reason why this project about union organizing is centered in the teachers movement, which is centered in the public schools. And I have to tell you how consistent this culture is, which is, I think in some ways very inspiring, but also points to the kind of economic apartheid of class in academia. So out of the 10 box sets of the When We Fight We Win project that Brooklyn has distributed and, and sold to educational organizations, only one has been sold to a private school, a private college. All the rest have gone to state universities. So it's kind of obvious where the interest lies. Uh, you, you know, to some people, union organizing is threatening. To other people, it's empowering. But what, what we really tried to do with this box set was inspired by the teachers and the strikes and art build workers is we try to replicate the excitement of that moment. When you open this box set, it's like a gift, you know, there's all kinds of stuff pours out of it, like Monica was saying. And so I'm wondering, you know, we know that um, in the age of digital education and screens and the virtual world that there is an element of the human brain that still wants to touch things and that things that are written on paper when students or readers look at them, there's a tactile connection that makes learning easier, that seems to enforce memory. And so um, I'm wondering what either of you have to think about that idea of, you know, material education at this point in time. Yes. As being a part of the art build workers, uh, and I still consider myself kind of young. You know, I, I like fast things. I like social media, Instagram, right? TikTok. I, I like it fast. And, but at the same time, there is a beauty to when it comes to materials and not just creating materials, but creating quality, right? Mm. Because movements deserve quality. And yet there are times when we have these actions that you see cardboard signs or you see poster signs from the dollar store you see things that people want to show a visual of how it is that they're feeling because many times the news media only shows an array of of people inside of these actions but never really talks or has the time to give everyone enough time to tell their story so hence people come and create these really awesome visuals right but what happens at the end of those actions? What happens to that cardboard that gets left behind or those posters that get left behind? So there's a responsibility and a duty that we have to take care of our own environment, you know, to, to take care of uh, the things that we create. And so when coming into the art builds, creating quality is a necessity to be able to use it again, to be reusable, to be taken with care. So people will want to come back and see and feel that they're being respected, that they're given this beautiful design by a local artist that is on 5,000 picket signs, you know? <laughs> and, and there are times where uh, people take those picket signs home. 
they'll take them home. And then there's others that are like, oh, they took them home. But is that <laughs> such a bad thing, you know, to have that same picket sign in front of a living room? Now that story is shared. And that's that, that action, that movement, the, the change that we want to see is inside of someone's living room, office, bedroom, to where others come in and see and then they share their story as well. To where unions can be able to take out that banner again. And when there's a helicopter going over them, trying to skew an idea of this angry mob, the parachute doesn't lie when it asks for liberation and education. Like those are the things that we can control. So it's very important to create that material to be able to show that first off, people can organize. There's quality. There is a deserving and that it can continue to be reused. Yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. You know, like I, so I guess I think of, um, when I think back to the Los Angeles strike, uh, the first image that comes to my mind is the image that was done by Ernesto Urena. Um, he took a, a photo um, of a ethnic studies teacher, Roxana Duenas, mm -hmm. and who's a very, like, a really amazing teacher in uh, Los Angeles schools. And that photograph he turned into a poster that was put on billboards across the city in the build up to the strike. And then when the strike happened, that became kind of uh, Roxana's image, it became the, the face of, of that strike. And, you know, as Jeanette said, you know, it was really great to see people take, um, take the actual signs home. So like when we talk about these signs, they're, you know, they take quite a bit to, to build and the, the unions put a lot of money into these signs. But yeah, when they noticed that some of their signs were disappearing, we're like, well, you know, like, as Jeanette said, that's a good thing. People are taking them home. They're putting them up on their walls um, and they're sharing photos of their homes with those signs up in their homes. And we said to them, plus it gives you another great excuse to do another art build and you can produce more <laughs> signs. And I think they really started to realize that. But the other powerful thing that we saw too was that some of these artists um, who, you know, and a lot of them are working on different social issues. Um, but when you bring the artists into the movement to create a design, next thing you know, you have the artists that are telling the story from their perspective too. Um, so not only creating a design and, and what they see in the fight, but then you sharing their, their image on their social media and then telling the story about it. And so we know that artists have their own uh, unique set of uh, uh, audience. And when you have uh, you know, an artist like, like uh, Ernesto telling the story of why public education is important, not only through his art, but through his social media and his storytelling abilities, um, it just really expands the, the fight to a group of people who might never have thought about these fights. Um, and, you know, when you have somebody hanging up that Los Angeles, uh, strike poster in their house, that's, that's a story they're going to tell for years, you know, years on when people come into their home, like, Hey, what's this poster? Um, and they're going to talk about that strike and how teachers went on strike for six days and most of it in the rain, um, you know, protesting and holding pickets. I was out there documenting that strike as well. And for the first five days, it rained all day long. And when you think that's not the first thing you think of in Los Angeles, uh, you don't think of rain, um, but it, that's, that's what it was like. And when people saw, um, you know, the teachers out there with their students and with parents supporting them, 
in the rain every day. And then on the fifth day, the sun came out and literally the next Monday they won. And, you know, it's, it was just a really powerful thing. And I think it takes, it takes these fights and it, it popular popularizes the fight um, and helps people to see like, Hey, these are, these are people that uh, deserve to have better, um, you know, to have a nurse in there's in every school was one of the demands. You know, and we think about that. And like, I know, like when we grew up, most of us, of course, there was a nurse in the school, right? That wasn't even like a question, but like to like find out like that a lot of these schools had a nurse that was being shared among three, four, five different schools. And to think of the the things that we as children, when we were children and what we see children going through today to not have a nurse, it's just, it, it, it's dumb. It, it really is dumbfounding. And to think about the art and music that that these schools didn't have, you know, full art and music and what, you know, students lose out when they don't have those things. Um, and just it, the art really helps people to see these complex issues and, and, and they see the faces of actual people who are, who are fighting to make things better. And it just has a, a really profound effect on uh, anyone that was a part of it or um, happens to see the art uh, after the event. So, uh, um, Jeanette, do you have anything to add to kind of the stream that Joe was working on there? On, um, I, I feel like Joe said it, said it like it is. It's, it's really on connecting back to how it is that we're able to give this, uh, quality, this quality image, how we're able to connect with artists, local artists as well, and how groups like the organizations and unions that we work with are the ones who make those changes, are the ones who tell us what they want inside of their artwork. What are the words? Oh, do we want it in English, in Spanish, in Hmong, in uh, a different native language? Uh, the groups that we collaborate with are the ones who make those decisions. And, and that that's a beautiful thing because many times people see an artist as a very presumptuous person, right? They create it and then others take it. But at this, in this kind of level, it's we're listening and it's important for artists to listen to what it is that the people, the community needs and how it can honor the people as well. Not just looking at them as a, as a spectator, right? But seeing them as the leader. And, and that is, I, I, there's, there's this idea that someone always has to be on top of everybody else, or there's always a leader coming back to that one individual, this individual thought. But why can't it be collective? Why, why can't it, the artists and family and students work together at the same level? And, and coming back to that word of, that you were saying, that you're hearing power, right? Power, empowerment. I would like to add liberation. Why can't we liberate our thoughts from this idea of power and someone having power and taking it from somebody else or someone always needing to give power to other people, right? That's still that idea of control, but that liberation part of being free from those and working together to make that change. I think there's a, one very beautiful quote that's inside of one of the banners that we have. It's, they tried to bury me, but they didn't know I was a seed. And it's a, it's a quote in Spanish. 
And it comes back to that idea of, of the struggle, right? The, the struggle of still being able to have that strength to survive. And coming back to why do we have to struggle? <laughs> why can't we just work together to make sure that we have what we deserve as a people, as people of color, as immigrants, as LGBTQIA, as, as the groups of people that have been oppressed for so many years? And you know, we have hard. that poster hanging at Bookland right now. It may not be the exact one that you're thinking no, I'm of. But I'm looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was looking at it today and I was, I, I look at it often and I love that quote. <clears throat> and, and I guess we're a case scenario that you're saying, like people who took, you know, signs from protests and hung it in their, you know, domestic or workspaces, looked at it, Instagrammed it, shared it, thought about it. And, um, I think that might have been an extra one or something, but we have it up and we see it and it influences our everyday. Hey, Marshall, I'm wondering if you could guide us in talking about something. Um, it's fairly general and I don't think any one of us really wants to be an expert in this area, but I wondered if you could speculate on why there's been a noticeable disinterest in uh things that come out of labor union culture in the context of acquisition work, which we do. And that's not totally unrelated to why in the broader culture, there's a aggression or a disinterest. I mean, a lot of money and work has been done to suppress labor unions and mm -hmm. to subvert the concept of what they actually do to liberate us. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what we learn as Bookland it just, you know, through uh, distributing this box set, it mirrors what we already know of the broader culture. And it right. it's interesting because we expect something a little bit different once you start to think about things in the context of archiving and within education. So like safe spaces where we can use this material to talk more expansively. And yet we kind of, there's a version of that that I think Marshall can speak to. Well, I, I, I think... Joe put it really well in terms of there is this somewhat literal war going on against public education, and it really is part and parcel of income inequity in this country. It's, it's where capitalism has to go if it goes unchecked. And I think what's um, interesting to me is I like to give a little bit of good news with the bad news. Well, right now, University of Connecticut has almost the entire When We Fight, We Win, Art Build Workers, Brooklyn box set up on display. And they have a very strong union on campus and they are promoting union activities. It's part of their curriculum. The Special Collections Library is part of the Dodd uh, Human Center for Human Rights. So there's some, you know, there, there is, I think, a strong working and middle-class movement to kind of um, reinforce public education and to reinforce workers' unions. But then on the other hand, um, what you need to remember, or what I think is apparent and what needs to be remembered about this attack on elementary and secondary public education in this country is it's led by people at private universities like Harvard and Yale 
it's led by politicians who have affiliations with the money that pours out of private education. So it's really kind of a direct relationship, that conflict between public and private education, especially if you look at the origin of all these private schools. You know, they are colonizer schools that supported colonizer governments. So decolonization, in effect, if we want to save our nation's public schools, we're going to have to dismantle the private university system because they will never stop. And so that's another complicated issue. Um, so, but I see these different cultures, right? I, you know, I see the cultures of the state universities and the private universities. And again, nothing is kind of, you know, there, there, there's no overarching consistency, but there is a cultural divide that exists because of the class culture that forms the executives of public and private schools is often very different. I definitely agree with what Marshall said there. Uh, and I'm just going to bring a very personal story. Uh, when, when I first went to college, uh, there was a recruiter from a private college that came to my school and uh, promised me all these things. And I said, well, if I have to pay more, it must be better, right? And I went to this school and I graduated with this school with a massive amount of debt. I was very depressed. I I went to go seek mental health services and I was working my butt off just to try to make the my payments meet. I was 27 years old and I was kind of thinking this is my life. And I felt like a huge disappointment. And it wasn't until I went back to school at a public university uh, to be a licensed art teacher, that I found, I, I found hope. I found that I, I can make a change with my art. It doesn't have to go into a gallery, and I don't have to be a white person to get connected to all these things to be able to live a job of an artist. And it was there that I met actually three people that are inside of the art field workers. Yes, Nicholas, who was my instructor. Josie and Kim, who were my advisors. And I remember creating a, a print because I, I was uh, dealing with a lot with my family and their immigration status. And that's when Nicholas said, do you, do you want to come to a, an art build? I had no idea what it was, actually. I was like, <laughs> well, how much do I have to pay, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> there's always this thing right. of paying, right, to be able to enjoy. <laughs> like those sipping paints, right? You have to pay. Mm. So uh, I was like, okay. And he was like, no, you don't have to pay anything. Actually, uh, we're wondering if we can uh, use your image, right? And that was the first time that an instructor, I feel that saw me as a person and not mm. as a student or not as less. And uh, that image was a client. As <laughs> yeah. a paying customer. <laughs> exactly. And it was to stop the policy of AB um, 227, I believe. It was on an immigration policy, but I was like, wow. Like, not only did I create something that I loved, something for my community, but now it's in a big old poster, <laughs> a parachute that's at the Capitol. And it, then it, it comes back now, years now, that I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of the Art Build Workers 
because of a public educator, because of my teacher, because of my advisors in a public educational system to where I didn't have to pay massive amounts of debt, but to where they saw the potential and the, the hope that I thought I would receive in a private educational system, but they only saw money, you know? And in this university, they saw me. You know, I think one of the things that we talked about earlier was the fact that uh, private schools don't have to educate all children. They can pick and choose who they want to educate. And this idea that public schools educate all students, uh, you know, regardless of socioeconomic status, um, gender, sexual orientation, um, you know, we, we'd, we'd be foolish to, to think that, uh, you know, that there's not always been this movement in this country to try to only educate people who we want to educate and to only give education to privileged, uh, privileged classes of people in this country. And, you know, that's, that's what, that's ultimately what this is about. It's about, um, you know, like right after, you know, after Brown versus uh, Board of Education, after those landmark court cases, we saw that for, there was a while where public schools, like even in Milwaukee, public schools had a, had a, a moment where, um, you know, it was well, well funded and it was doing a good job of educating. Of course, you know, wasn't doing the best job that there's always room for improvement. But I think the powers that be saw that they saw that, you know, that there were certain groups that weren't being privileged anymore. And so, you know, they came up with this idea of, you know, vouchers and um, charter schools so that they could, you know, try to change that dynamic back to where you had separate and unequal schools. And so, you know, you see that now in, in, in Wisconsin, um, you know, which was actually the birthplace of, of uh, public sector unions were, were born in the state of Wisconsin. And we have an amazing, you know, state university system. The University of Wisconsin is one of the, you know, great public universities of our country. And even the, the University of Wisconsin, you know, we've seen, you know, since, ever since uh, Scott Walker passed uh, Act 10 and really took uh, an unprecedented amount of money out of public education in the state of Wisconsin, we've seen that university slip in terms of rankings of like where it is in, in terms of uh, the education it provides. And it's like we took us a, a system that really was working for a majority of people and we're carving out the people that we want to, not we, but the powers that be that they want to educate and at the, to the detriment of the rest of the state. And it's just, uh, it's, you know, we'd be naive to think that uh, that's not being done on purpose. And, you know, and, and they do it, they do it in deceptive secret ways. Like, private charter schools love to call themselves public schools and they're not, but they yeah. continue to call themselves public schools because they get public funding. But you know, when, when that funding is given to a school that doesn't, isn't accountable to a, a democratically elected school board, it's just not the same thing. And so that's part of why we use art to try to tell these complex stories because, you know, most people, they, they're, you know, they can be um, tricked into thinking that these schools are actually public. But they're absolutely not. And, you know, parents oftentimes find out the hard way when they take their kid to one of these schools, especially if they have a student you know, with special needs, they quickly find out that um, those schools, they don't have to follow um, 
you know, the Americans with Civil, Disabil Civil Disabilities Act. They're not held to those same, uh, those same uh, rules and regulations, and they lose a lot of rights that they have in a public school that they don't have in a private school. And so ultimately, this is about taking away um, the ability of the average person to lift themselves up and to um, really get a, the greatest education they can get and to live, you know, what, what, what they want to call the American dream, right? And it's, it's, it's sad, but that's, that's why it's so important to use art to tell these stories and to really bring these fights um, to the average person so they can see what's at stake. I think we've spent a good amount of time understanding a lot of what these systemic problems are and how art build workers and teachers unions have met the call to address these problems in very creative ways. And I'd love to maybe spend some time now talking about the victories that have come out of this, because I, I understand this series of teacher strikes from 2019 facilitated by the art build workers and all of this cultural ephemera and material culture to have really supported some real victories. And I wondered if you could talk about what those have meant to you. I think some of the victories that we even saw recently is the Santa Fe Teachers Union, right? How they were able to get the raises for, for the wages for our educators, for the staff that works there. So bus drivers won't have to be cooks and then they have to be substitutes, right? And we won't have to see our, our paras and our teachers go into this private educational system and lose the, the strength of the union to be able to give quality education for our students and show that they don't have to go to another private institution so they can hopefully be picked if they are picked. Like it, it's on showing that that victory can mean so much if each and every state had that, if each and every state gave a quality raise, because is it, isn't it the, the raise of the cost of living? <laughs> If, if there's big companies that are giving raises to the cost of living, you know, our, our teachers who are educating our students deserve to have that quality to be able to continue teaching for our students to have things that they deserve, such as quality food, <laughs> you know, which I, I know like inside of Milwaukee County, the students are organizing with a couple of teachers inside of the, our union to demand for uh, quality foods, to have foods actually cooked inside of the schools rather than uh, be given inside of ready-made hot squares, right? Uh, so people who are uh, under different beliefs and have different um, cultural needs for nutrition to have their needs met because not everybody eats hot dogs and not everybody eats pepperoni and uh, certain students' religious beliefs can be met because they deserve that. Yeah, you know, I would add that, so the first art build that we did for the Milwaukee Teachers uh, Union, we were organizing against the state law that was, as we called it the take, uh, the MPS takeover law. Um, we were able to actually defeat that law. The law is still in the books, but we what we were able to do was to make that law so unpopular that the law basically empowered the 
county executive of Milwaukee County to be able to appoint what we call the takeover czar. And that's, that czar would have been in charge of basically placing five public, up to five public schools a year into private operators' hands. And by just uh, you know bringing our signs and protesting at every single event that that county executive did, we would show up in all the places where, where he would go and we would go to um, uh, press conferences and we'd be there with a large showing. We made it so unpopular um, for him that he eventually, the, his first takeovers are that he appointed resigned and then he refused to appoint someone else because he just knew it was so politically unpopular for him to do it. And by doing that, we basically took the legs out from that legislation. And so that was a really huge victory um, to, to turn back to turn back that law. And so that's just locally. But what we saw in L.A. was we saw them win the ability to have a nurse in every school. Um, we've seen you know significant uh, pay raises earned so that educators could live actually in the communities in which they teach. And that was a big issue in Santa Fe. And in Oakland, it was a massive issue where if the teachers can't even teach or live in the communities in which they work, which means that they can't have a vote in the communities in which they work, that's disenfranchising um, the educators. It's taken them out of the decision-making process of for the, the various schools that they work in. And so those are all victories. In Oakland, they were able to win uh, raises that would enable you know educators to actually live in those communities. And I know in Santa Fe, one thing that they're fighting for, and it sounds like they might be successful, is actually having um, developments made where uh, in the community in Santa Fe where teachers will actually have housing given to them at, like uh, I think, subsidized rates um, to actually allow them. Now, it's crazy to think that that would actually have to be done, but it just shows you that these are these are real massive issues that we've had large victories on. You know, I want to add one other interesting thing about this idea of collective culture, because I think um, one of our programs is with the Monument Quilt Project, which was a quilt that addressed issues of sexual violence and rape in this country, both in terms of healing and prevention and challenging kind of the patriarchy. And I think one of Lorena, I think one of the women involved in that was speaking to us and she was saying that the most important thing she saw in terms of that project was how important collective healing was. So collective healing, collective action, collective art making, just seems like it's really important that in this kind of hyper-individualized, everybody with their own little screen to stare at culture, we really start to privilege the idea of collective action. Yeah, you know, like when Jeanette was talking earlier about the actual art build happening, you know, everybody has a role in these fights and everyone has a, a, a way to, or the ability to create change. And, you know, the art build is just the, is the personification of that. I mean, like, like she said, like everybody has a role when they come to the art build, you know, there's somebody that might not, uh, might not want to paint. Um, they, they might, but they, they might be really good with the saw and they'll, they'll cut those sticks down for those picket signs or they'll screw those picket signs together, you know? And so the art build kind of, I think really encapsulates that and shows people that, Hey, like 
you might not think that you can actually have a say or that you can help in this fight, but you do. And when you paint that parachute banner and you're just painting, you know, that, that, uh, big space like maybe you're just painting that part red and someone else is painting the actual face of the person on the parachute someone else is painting in the words and collectively when that parachute's done like you did that right that was that was something that you did and when you go and carry that parachute banner with other participants and then when you actually win that fight it's like you know what i did that i was a part of that and you know, it was, it was, it was, it was I that did that and along with a group of people. And so that's just really empowering for people. And it's something, it's the reason why, you know, more labor unions and more uh, um, movements for justice are starting to do this collective art because they're realizing the power of that. And, and it's effective. It's, it, you know, people are winning because uh, when you have many people fighting for the same cause, obviously you're going to be more successful. And uh, the art builds just really demonstrate that effectively. I want to like to share something brief and exactly just adding to what Joe said is, is that that power of the idea that the art build is an idea. It, it doesn't have to be in a certain location. Heck, there was one time where we had it in the street and then we had a DJ and then we had a whole dance party and we were painting, you know, <laughs> like that was that just snowballed into something bigger into something beautiful and um, how this this idea of collective change can bring that parachute to do or that banner to do different things i remember there was that time that we had that 100 yard banner it was hot the the sun was just getting to a lot of people and then all of the adults had the children go underneath the banner and the children mm. were dancing under the banner. And there was one child who was in a wheelchair. He was a wheelchair user. And he went under the banner and he rejoiced with the other kids. And just the fact of that, that the differences coming together to, to be at that same level of joy. While mm. adults were holding the banner, there were kids that were dancing underneath it. And there was this feeling of, of hope. Uh, and that's what collective change does, collective strength. It brings hope to make change. Well, I don't think it gets any better than that, Jeanette. So I think that is a great I place know. to end. <laughs> Thank I was you. thinking that too. It totally reminds me of that. Uh, uh, it's not even worth saying really, but like the Emma Goldman quote, like it's, if I can't dance to it, it's not my revolution or something like that. And yes. the way that you've you've both taken the time to talk about your revolution well, our revolution, it has a lot of energy mm. and liberation and it, 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 it's future positive thinking and I want to come. <laughs> yeah, no, you, not, I, you, you haven't protested until you've run under a parachute banner on a march. I mean, I think you yeah. might be right. I think you might, I'm going to, I will think on that and see if I can make my own or I'll come and play under yours. Milwaukee is a special place and, um, you know, there's a little Milwaukee magic as represented by art build workers, you know, who are being kind of, you know, flown all over the country to assist in these protests and in these actions. Um, and with that in mind, I do want to give a little shout out to Voces de la Frontera, because as an activist social justice group, they have taken full advantage over 
you know, working with artists and working with people in the, their community to make powerful, powerful um, media and artwork that, you know, advances their causes and has provided solid legislative and community and even national leadership. And I have to say that these box sets are super popular and people love them and they exhibit them and they teach with them. And it just seems that there's so much, it's a good thing where you just get, it gets great reviews. People love this stuff. It just seems like this is a really fabulous thing that um, everyone has all kind of brought to the forefront. I think we're going to see a lot more progress and resistance and liberation from these kind of, you know, techniques and, and collaborations. Thank you, Jeanette and Joe, so much for taking the time to talk with us. Thank you to all the art build workers in Milwaukee and beyond. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us for another episode of Brooklyn Calling. You can check out the show notes for all the details of everything that we've talked about. And if you're a librarian or a curator at an educational institution and you're interested in collecting the When We Fight Wait, what is it? When we fight, we win box set, the art build workers box set collecting ephemera and materials from the 2019 teacher strikes. You can email us hello at bookland.org or you can just check it out on our website, bookland.org, and we'll see you next time. This podcast was made possible in part by funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs and in partnership with the City Council and from individual donors to Bookland Inc. You can support this podcast by making a donation at bookland.org slash donate.